Let us pray. God of wisdom and the word, help us to hear what you are saying to us today. Amen. Today's scripture lesson comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were immediately overcome with awe, and they ran forward to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing, arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak, and whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. He answered them, you faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy too. When the spirit saw him, immediately it threw the boy into convulsions and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, how long is, has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are unable to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he was able to stand. When he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast it out? He said to them, this can, on, can come out only through prayer. This is the word of God for the people of God. Back in the early 1990s, a man named Ray Fuller was interviewed by the Washington Post. Ray Fuller was a scientist who worked for the Eli Lilly Drug Company. He helped develop the drug Prozac. He was asked a number of questions about the fact that at the time, he and his colleagues openly admitted they couldn't explain exactly how the drug worked. They couldn't explain everything about how it altered someone's brain chemistry to beat back depression. They just observed that in many cases, it did. Here's the thing, he said. Here is the reason I can't answer all of your questions. If the human brain were simple enough for us to understand it in its entirety, well, then we humans would be too simple to understand it. Now that was 30 years ago. We have learned a lot since then. 
But even now, scientists readily admit that what we don't know far outweighs what we do. Now, I am oversimplifying it, but what was true about the brain when Prozac was developed is still true today. We don't know it all. We do know enough to make a difference in people's lives today, and we do know enough to keep moving forward tomorrow. Now, I'm talking about neuroscience and neuropsychiatry, but I'm also talking about faith and doubt and belief and unbelief. In the Gospel of Mark, everything, absolutely everything, revolves around the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, the reign of God, God's promised day, that day that we dare to dream of, call it whatever you want, really, because as far as Mark is concerned, so long as you are working for it and living toward it with the fullness of your being, well, that's all he's asking. That's why Mark doesn't spend any time at all telling us about the birth of Jesus, the beginning of the good news, he says, is the day Jesus was baptized. And from there, Jesus and Mark are off and running. So this story, this story about a boy with a spirit and a father with faith, well, it's about the same thing. It's about the kingdom of God drawing near. And like every other story that Mark tells us, it means to teach us what it looks like and how to pursue that day and live in trust of that day. Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they had gone off by themselves for a while. Jesus took them up a mountain and when they came back down, they discovered that the disciples were surrounded by a crowd and in the midst of an argument. Jesus asks, Innocently enough, what are y'all arguing about? And a man pipes up, my son is unwell. I asked your disciples to heal him, but they couldn't. And Jesus says to his disciples, you faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? I think that is Mark's way of saying, Jesus rolled his eyes at his disciples so far back, they nearly disappeared into his head. <laughs> Nevertheless, he goes on to talk with the boy's father, and that man, for the record, has all the best lines in this story. If you are able, the father says, if you are able, please heal him. You see, this man has brought Jesus his son. But in bringing his son, he's really brought his whole life, his whole world. If you are able, please, please, can you make things better? Can you fix everything that's gone wrong? Jesus' reply is all things can be done for one who believes. All things. Now Peter Pan says you can fly if you believe. If you are going to try that, I recommend a couple of steps and not a roof. 
because we need to remember that this line is in the middle of Mark telling us this story and that for Mark, every story is about the kingdom of God. It is about God's promised day drawing near. So when Jesus says all things can be done for one who believes, he's promising us that, well, he's promising us that his life can show up in ours if we believe. If we believe. Now the first thing to keep in mind about believing is that anytime Jesus talks to us about it, no matter what the translated English grammatical form suggests, every time Jesus talks about it, the original Greek presents belief as a verb. Belief must be something we do. It is never something we have. To have belief would mean it was something that we could wrap our arms around. It would be something definable. It would be something complete and accomplished. But the grammar of this story insists that believing is always and ever will be a work in progress. It is not something we come to the end of. The other thing about believing is that when Jesus asks about it, when he asks this father or anyone else, when Jesus asks, do you believe? Well, he's not conducting a theology exam. He doesn't ask, do you believe certain things about Jesus? What he asks is much bigger than that. Now, the way that we talk about belief lately We Presbyterians are just as guilty, if not more than most. The way we talk about belief is heady and intellectual, and that has its place, and I am grateful that we embrace that. But when Jesus asks us here if we believe, he's not quizzing us about prevenient grace or perichoresis or predestination. He's just saying, do you trust me? He is asking us to trust that God will bring forth life from death. He's asking us to trust that God can change us. He's asking us to trust that the love of God can heal that which is broken in us and in the world. He isn't asking us to explain how it happens. He's asking if we're willing to live our lives trusting that it does. It's a little bit like gravity, I suppose. I don't understand gravity. I can tell you some things about gravity, but I do not fully understand it. But I do trust it. When I climb a ladder, I hold on for dear life because I do in fact trust that if my foot slips or I lean too far, gravity will send me crashing to the ground not understanding how gravity works does not keep me from trusting that it will. Now, if you are thinking that that is all well and good, but whether it's a noun or a verb, the simple truth is that sometimes I believe and sometimes I don't. 
or that your truth is occasionally I believe, but often I don't. Or even I would really like to believe, but usually I don't. You are in good company. Countless theologians have spoken of their doubt with ease. Thomas Merton, Rachel Held Evans, Justo Gonzalez, Paul Tillich, Mother Teresa, John Calvin, for heaven's sake, all of them affirm that doubt is not the opposite of faith. It is a part of faith. It is a part of a faith that is alive and well. And scripture affirms that too. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that in the presence of the resurrected Lord, the disciples in his presence after the resurrection, they worshiped and they doubted. The Apostle Paul, he affirms in one of the most often quoted sections of his writings, now we see in a mirror dimly. Now we know only in part. And today in the presence of Jesus, with his son's life on the line, in a moment when anyone knows that the correct answer to Jesus' question is an unqualified, of course I believe, the father says, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, Jesus, but also I don't. Not always. And did you notice? That answer is entirely acceptable to the Lord of heaven and earth. That answer is perfectly pleasing to the savior of the world. It is good and holy to the healer of our every ill. I believe Jesus, but also I don't. Not always. Okay. Now, you may have read in the news recently, there is a whole host of baptisms in the Catholic Church that have recently been declared invalid because the officiating priest said, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We baptize you instead of I baptize you. This whole kerfluffle has not been the church's best moment. I have lots of thoughts about the theological implications of the whole ordeal, but that is for another time. I mention it now because in one of my less mature moments, I sent that article to the chairs of the pastor nominating committee that called me here, and I wrote, I promise I have never done this. But that moment of theological rightness triggered the memory of what I confessed to our confirmation class last week. I confessed to them my own moment of unorthodox language and practice. I was sharing with them how in the Presbyterian Church, anyone is welcome at the Lord's Supper. There is no prerequisite of membership or belief All you need is a desire to participate. Belief is important, I told them, but belief is never what marks us as in or out. 
worthy or unworthy. And then I told them what I'll tell our prospective new members later today. When you join the Presbyterian Church, the only belief question we ask you is, do you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? All the other questions are about how we live in response to that and how we are community with one another. And then I told them that sometimes I change that question. When someone comes to me with deep honesty and says, I want to join the church, I want to be part of this community, I want to believe, but I'm not sure I do. Or not enough, not the way I should. So in those moments, I change the question. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior becomes, do you want to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Because we are all just like the Father in today's story. We believe, we trust, but imperfectly and incompletely. And Jesus, according to the scriptural witness that has authority in our lives, Jesus is okay with that. Now I suppose that you could report me, but even if you did, I assure you, those of you who have joined the church with my questions, your membership is not invalid. Our tradition insists that God's intent for our lives is stronger than any human capacity to flub it up. And that is true whether we're talking about my words or your belief, your belief or your unbelief. God is bigger than any of it. Earlier, I mentioned Ray Fuller, who said that if the human brain were simple enough for us to understand it in its entirety, we would be too simple to understand it. I believe a similar thing is true of God. If God were small enough for me to understand everything about who God is and how God works, well, then God would be too small to manage all of the things we want to understand. And I don't know about you, but I need a God who is big enough and strong enough to bring life out of death. I need a God who is big enough and strong enough to heal everything that is broken in my life and in the life of the world. And that means I need a God who is bigger and stronger than my own capacity to understand. And bigger and stronger than my own capacity for belief. Acknowledging this does not demonstrate a lack of faith. It demonstrates faith enough to make it through today. And even more importantly, it demonstrates faith enough to keep us moving into tomorrow. It is more than enough to keep us moving toward God's promised day. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.